0: As you know, and you that's been coming uh, regularly, I don't know, I think it was about five months ago I made a statement that God was going to put me on a trail because he just told me he was. And, and he just walked that trail out and it would change my whole life and bring me on into to everything he said I could have. That, that'd be eating of the fruit of the vineyard soon. And little did I know that he was going to open up more born-again realities. I'd never dreamed there was chapters and chapters on our freedom. And that the Holy Ghost come to enforce, to bring everything forward that we've become as new creations. When he brings him forward, that's when the champions emerge, the champions. And so he says, you're going to get on that path. And he said, besides that, I'm going to teach you a new way to meditate. It's not a new way. I'd been skimming around it, but didn't understand the fullness of it. And when he told me what to do, I really didn't know what it would do. But I only began to do it just out of an act of obedience. And some of you'll remember at times I said that if I do what he told me to do, that it would change my preaching, that he wanted me to draw more from the mind of Christ and be able to yield to him anytime, anywhere, and pull out what he had invested in me through meditation and through my teacher, the Holy Spirit. So I began. You know, I began. And he wanted me to basically spend some time going through the whole Bible, but then isolating different books that he wanted me. And this is the wording that he used to simulate. He wanted me to stimulate the mind that was in them, to absorb them. Books like Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians and Hebrews and Romans, none of these books are very big. And all of them have a central theme. There's a mind of God in each one. He has said something to the church. In the information in the book of John, the book of Ephesians, New Creation Realities, It's God's mind to the church. It's gold. It's pure victory in its purest form. And so when God set me down and says, when you start doing this now, you're, you're going to pull from a reservoir you did not know you have. Any person that would do this in their business decisions, in their walk, in the love they walk in, anyone would begin to pull from a reservoir that they did not know that they had. And I said, God, you want me to assimilate these books, absorb them? He said, yes. I said, well, you know, I kind of do that. You know, and we, we get a few favorite verses in those books. We skim them, and once in a while, we'll read through them a little bit, you know. Maybe some good part in it. More or less, you know, you'll let me interpret for God. <laughs> he doesn't act like I do, but he grabbed me. And he says, look. He said, the book of John, those five chapters to the church, they're, they're different than the testimony of Jesus, where John recorded his testimony And because he walked closer to to love, as close as a man could walk in love, he couldn't even understand agape until later after he was born again. And that's when he recorded then the Gospel of John, the testimony of Jesus. So because of the love he already fostered in his soul, he was able to understand more revelation knowledge probably than any apostle. Especially about the Holy Spirit, the teacher, because he's the one that come and taught him the love. And he was able to write. And when he's come, he'll guide you into all truth. None of them recorded anything about that. Not Matthew, not Mark, not Luke. John. He seemed to have insight into the Holy Ghost and the love of God that nobody else had. So now here it is. It's culminated in this book. that's sitting in your lap right now. John ministered to the age of uh, maybe 105 one hundred and five. At 100, he was on the Isle of Patmos penal colony off of Turkey. He was literally breaking rocks up in slave labor at almost 100 years old. Well, he outlived the, the emperor Demetrian and was brought back then. He outlived him and was brought back. And for the next 150 years, they used it as a pilgrimage. Christians went to the island to get closer. and And then... Muslims took it over and after 200 years it became there. But regardless, John came back and probably 80 years of ministry. 80 years of ministry. Everything that God deemed pertinent to pour into a book, he poured into the one that's in your lap. This is 80 years of a man's life. What are you going to do with it? Skim it? Dance on a verse once in a while? What are you going to do with it? Eighty years. Everything this man learned. God esteemed this portion, the canon of the Scripture, as John's contribution. And the mind of God after eighty years is in that man, and he poured it into these these words that you're going to look at, and you have no respect for them. A guy like me wants to teach you how to meditate. You should put your ears on. <laughs> I mean, I've been broken, you know, I've been broken. Eighty years. Well, when people come to me and say, you know what I'm called to be? Oh, I've watched most of them. If I don't have a word of knowledge or discerning, I can watch you. And watch what you gravitate towards. I can make a pretty educated guess, you know. And they'll want to know what books should they begin to assimilate, to absorb. You have ministry of a psalmist or what kind of problem you're going through. You know, you you need to absorb the mind of Christ in that area. You know, the book of Romans is an incredible book. And if you really are not able to get free from sin with the new nature that's in you, if you was able to assimilate the first eight chapters of that book, and particularly four, five, six, seven, eight, then you could jump on over to twelve if you're having trouble. But if you just spend enough time in this, those chapters alone, which I won't do anymore, I'll just take the, I'll study them, but I'll take the whole book now, you know. I just take the whole thing. I don't want to miss anything. See, the Apostle Paul also ministered something like 50 years and poured himself into these epistles. This man made a great contribution to the foundation of the church. Everything that he learned, God deemed pertinent to the church is poured into those few epistles. And you don't have time. <laughs> Are you loving me? <laughs> so they come to me, people. You know, some, I'll say, meditate in the book of Psalms. You no know, cause uh, of their ministry and others have the entrepreneurship of the simplicity of giving which is one of the roughest ministries because if I can't get them on the rock enough to outrun the power of money, it's not that they won't achieve money. But By the time they achieve it, there's a good chance that it'll have them. In fact, that's, that's usually the normal, not the exception. There's not very many given multi-billions into the gospel. And if they are, you're probably not hearing about it because to give that much, you usually were purged from bragging about it. So if it's the helps ministry, because the helps is the highest after you leave the fivefold, the highest like the apostle is to the fivefold, the very highest gift that comes in of all the helps and governments and the diversities of tongues, the very highest you come in on the second level is the helps ministry. It's just barely clear the fivefold and helps is next. It's the steward. It's the steward. It's the few that God can use to pour billions out to. And they're just big fat funnels that suck it off of the world and put it in the kingdom of God. They're smarter than the devil. They're smarter than Wall Street. They're smarter than the world's entrepreneurs because the Holy Ghost and all his counsel is sitting at their table and helping them make their decisions. And it's not cheating. Because I now mean, he give you an inside tip, it's okay. The sinners could have the same tip if they would serve God. Yes, same, yeah. <laughs> so the two books that are usually assigned to assimilate for the upcoming stewards, the entrepreneurs, is the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs first and usually this is the instructions. I'll make them read it. I'll assign them to read it. I can't make you do anything. Fifty times. I can read in two hours the way I'm about to tell you, in two hours. Read each verse deliberately and precisely. And You must acknowledge the content of each verse even if you do not understand it. Well, I don't know what this verse means, but I understand each word. If you run across the word you don't understand because King James did some kind of flip side on it, then go ahead. Go ahead and go find out what the word means so that next time you cross by that verse then you can understand the content of the verse. Read directly, deliberately, and precisely each verse. Now, I've developed to do it while I'm praying in tongues. Because he said, the man that prays in tongues, my spirit prayeth. My understanding's unfruitful. I have developed to read precisely and deliberately while I'm praying in tongues. I can do it. I couldn't do it overnight. But I've developed to do it. Because I wanted my spirit to be edified at the same time I was offering my soul on the altar of God's Word. So I'll just, you know, pray in tongues. And sometimes something will start to come to me and I find myself... You know, not praying for a little bit, but I go right back, you know, and I don't pray out loud, I whisper usually. Because I found out praying out loud, you wear your vocal cords out in a manner of a mere 12, 13 hours. Maybe I won't, you know, read my letter to you tonight. I'll just set you into it. Read it next time I meet you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I've learned to do this. I'll read it precisely and deliberately, acknowledging what's in each verse. If I find myself having slipped into daydreaming, or solving some problem from yesterday in my thinking, while my intellect is still reading this thing, I'll stop. The moment I realize I'm doing that, I just stop. I go back. I'll back up to the last verse that I remembered reading deliberately and precisely and pick it up from there again. It used to happen to me all the time. (laughs) But I (laughs) I wasted so much time getting through a book that will cure you after a while. (laughs) It's the fifth time in this same chapter I've had to back up. That's right, it'll cure you. After a while, you'll pay attention because you don't want to back up. And I'll tell you, funny things will begin to happen in your soul as you do this. So to the entrepreneurs, I make 50 times the book of Proverbs, and I make them go to John first second and third and do that a hundred times now reading like that reading like that subjecting myself like that to the word of God I can go through the book of Proverbs in two hours in two hours usually if I'm in Proverbs I'll only go through if I'm assimilating the book I'll only go halfway through I'll go halfway through in an hour then I might do something else and then come back and and go the second half, but if I do it in one setting, I can read like that, and it takes me two hours because I don't go back very often now and have to read eight verses over that I somehow departed from. <laughs> see, in doing this, what you're doing is preparing yourself, or you're offering your soul on the altar of the word in preparation for meditation, because see, in reality. The instructions he gave to Joshua and the instructions that David, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat scornfully delights himself in the Word of God. And then does he meditate how much? Day and night. Same thing to Joshua. Not Let the Word depart out of your mouth. And meditate there. And day and night you might observe to do all that's written there. And this, this day and night, day and night. Oh, I can't study and memorize and read day and night. But I certainly can meditate day and night, but only if I equip my soul for the day and night kind of meditation by assimilation. Hallelujah. So when a person offers their soul on the altar of meditation, then what you're doing is preparing yourself for day and night kind of meditation. And believe me, it can take place at any time. The part that I really didn't understand is the night part, you know. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, what are we going to do? You know, uh, like some monk in a monastery that you give yourself to the word long hours of the day and then burning the candle at night. And, and how's a housewife going to do that? You know, unforgiving world of 40-hour work weeks and schedules and running everything here. Yet, yet the instructions to these great men was to give themselves to the meditation of the Word of God day and night. Or when God taught me how to assimilate the Word. And this, what I'm teaching you to do, you're going to store it into your soul in such a way that you give the teacher of all teachers access at any time with all the raw material he needs to take that paintbrush and paint the revelation of the mind of Christ in that book on the canvas of your heart any time. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's a pretty flowery outbreak of words there, wouldn't you (laughs) say? I didn't get the part day and night. I'm going to talk about the night part just for a little bit. Science have always tried to figure out what sleep is. I I don't know what it is exactly, but I sure enjoy the fire out of it. Have you ever thought about sleep? Have you ever really thought about it? I mean, all of a sudden, something reaches up from in you and just turns you off like a light bulb. (laughs) Click. It just turns you off and severs your conscious mind from its duties. And folks, the reason it does it is because it's needed somewhere else. And your mind doesn't stop just because God severs it from outside contact. You know, and all of a sudden you just just click, just like turning the light bulb off. I don't even know where you go. Where do you go? I don't know, but I've developed it pretty good. It's something that just reaches up and goes click and severs your mind from conscience duties. And there's near a science can figure, you know that your mind is needed somewhere else. And I know this to be true. God has taught it to me now. But your mind is needed and it prioritizes it. Prioritizes it. What your mind does, it goes and it begins to prioritize things. And it begins to file them in categories of importance, into short, into long-range memories. For instance how many in here is uh, 50 years young 50 and older where were you when Kennedy was shot why didn't you forget that because in, in importance when it was prioritized and filed it was filed under somewhere where you'd never forget it so things according to importance it files them away and have you ever went to bed something just really troubling you And the reason it's troubling you, because the devil and you went and got a little bitty molehill and made a big fat mountain out of it. And especially if it's something in the Word of God that says you shouldn't have made a mountain out of Well, now you've just absorbed an entire book a hundred times. So here's this hateful little mountain has took a molehill and exaggerated it into this horrendous thing that says, you're not going to receive from God and you're never going to forgive anybody. And you go to bed just as trouble and during the night, you know, after he reaches up and turns your mind up, click, and you're gone. Then your mind, it'll take the information that you fed the most into your soul and what's important to you. Then it'll start filing it in the long range and short range and it looks at that molehill And because it's absorbed the book of John a hundred times, it says, Hey, hey, he's taken this little bitty molehill and made a mountain out of it. So it takes the little molehill, which you made into a mountain, and drags it way off somewhere and stores it under unimportant... And now, because it's not exaggerated in your thinking anymore, the next morning when you wake up, you go, my God, and revelation knowledge hits you. You know exactly what to do with the problem because the mountain was made back into a molehill and in the absence of it, you're thinking clear again. And that all happened because you fed yourself for day and night meditation. course, you could go to bed with some guy chopping another guy's head off. I think some of your minds went, went ahead and figured out everything I was talking about in a split second, didn't you? Going to bed, going to sleep with some guy chopping some guy's head off from TV or something, and then it's a, and you wonder why you'll set up talking in a cold sweat. You know, by the preachers I counseled that crashed, before they crashed, they had to occupy their mind all the time because the wrong part of it had so taken them over that they had no peace. And unless they occupied their mind all the time, and they had absent, and, and these preachers, when I'd start telling them how they were broke down, they'd look at me and I'd continue to tell them they'd look at me more. Then they'd say, How'd you know that? And I says, Hey, how far do you think I went down that road before I recovered myself? I was getting 1,400, 1,500 born again filled with the Holy Ghost in, in a five and six week period and run the time out on three twin engine airplanes preached in three camp meetings a week before he stopped me to settle down with you and receive revival. You don't think I know what I'm doing? Well, getting all those people saved and filled, the devil didn't like me at all. He began to move into my life in an area I was unfamiliar with just coming out of the woods of Oregon. First thing he took away from me was prayer. The second thing he was going to take away from me was my life. He was trying to convince me that everything is ultimate grace. I could do anything I wanted with my life. He worked on it. It was all by grace. The way your ministry grew, prayer, nothing had anything to do with it. God just come along and just does it for you. Hasn't your anointing stayed the same? But anyway, so when these preachers say, how did you know that? How did you know that? Because there was a time when my mind gave me so much unrest that I couldn't sleep hardly unless I had the TV on. I couldn't occupy myself unless I was watching it all the time. I couldn't even hardly approach the Word of God to open it. Something in me resisted it so hard. Let me tell you something. If you haven't experienced him resisting you, approaching the Word of God like I'm teaching you now, you will. Because when you start offering your soul to the assimilation of the whole mind of Christ, that's in each of those books. Fifty times, man. Fifty times. If you've never been opposed in your meditation, you will. Because I'm talking to people all the time now at this stage that were fought like I've been fought but didn't want to tell anybody. I don't have a desire. Something's fighting me. There's nothing in my emotions. Sometimes it wants to pick this up. It's World War III just to go into it and start reading it. Something's wrong. Something needs to be transformed. And I haven't been fought real hard with the Word until these last four to five months when he taught me how to go on and assimilate it in its fullness, to go on, that the Holy Ghost lives in great hopes in you that you'll give yourself to the Word of God like that so that he can meditate with you day and night. See, but when I began to assimilate the Word like I'm teaching you now, I hit some sore spot, some out-of-tune string on the devil, because he really come at me with the vengeance. He got so irritated. I could tell how irritated he was because emotions just wailed and screamed around me. And for the first time in a while, I had to fight, to fight, to open the word, to fight to do it, to begin to assimilate. But folks, what faith is, If you really want to know what mustard... If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, that seed form of what's to be, really, what mustard seed faith is, what it really, really is, is enough faith in you, just enough faith to do the right thing. My emotions say don't meditate. Yes, but the mustard seed that carries the promise said do. And if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, then you will have enough faith to meditate no matter what your emotions say. And that's what produces the tree that's in the seed. You'll have enough faith to pray because you have the mustard seed. If you don't do those things, uh, generally you never get a harvest. He fought. And then after I began to uh, assimilate the word, these books, uh, I found out why he was fighting me. The first time the Holy Ghost took me and began to teach me with this new meditation, I found out why. He's afraid of me. (laughs) If he's fighting you like that, he's afraid of you. He fought Augie, took the word of God away from Augie. Augie responded in rebellion. Augie, stand up. When he was on the edge of insanity, had to fight every moment to keep from suicide. (sighs) Lee was fighting the same fight. He doesn't mind. It's in his testimony. Sometimes Lee would have a breakdown on the plane and he'd have to wrestle her down. That was the state they were in just before they came because he was doing the same thing, getting as many born again and filled. And the strong man came, knocked him out of prayer, only took him that extra mile that he wasn't able to take me. Thank God I was able to recover. Had I not, I'm sure I'd ended up fighting the same fight you fought to get back. And it isn't that he didn't have cause. He had cause. But you don't have cause. Because Jesus is sufficient. And the mustard seed says, I can do what I'm supposed to do, and I've got enough strength to do it, and it will produce the tree. What do you think about that? That's out. Well, this is how Augie rebelled. He moved back home to India. His dad was alive then. He moved back home to India. He was in the fight for his life, and he knew it. Thank God for families that love you like that. He went to help with the Christian school his folks had. Augie said to survive. He had to have everything that God said to mankind pertinent to you and I. You know he runs the universe, but for us, he wrote the Bible. Everything God said pertinent to your victory and salvation is somewhere in those 66 pages. It's in there. You don't need any more or there'd be more. It's all you need. It's enough. Everything God said pertinent to Augie's salvation, to humanity, passed through Augie every two weeks for a year. I said, how long did it take you a day, Augie? He said, five or six hours. I said, I want you to show me how you did it. I want to know everything about it. He said, i would go to the front room and when I was at their house, he showed me the couch. I'll always remember these things because it's deep, deep and breaded in me now. When Augie is shaken the world, I'll get to go look at the couch where he was recovered. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Ship it to America. <laughs> Don't let them throw it away, Augie. I said, how'd you do it? Make an icon. I said, how'd you do it? He says, well, I went out and I kneeled in front of the, the couch in the front room and I put the Bible on the couch like this in front of me. I started with Genesis. Started with Genesis. And read through, all the way through to the book of Revelation. Six hours a day, every two weeks. He'd start over. all the mind of God running through his mind every two weeks turned his mind from the destruction and started him on the path back. I said, Augie, when you got to the details of the law and how boring different books was, I mean, what did you do when God was so boring with the detail to build this and for this and that? He said, I just praise God that he cares that much about detail. If he does, then that means he cares that much about the details of my life. So he could find everything, something on everywhere to praise God for, see. So when Augie and I sat down and had a talk yesterday about the simulation of his word, he got so excited. He got as excited as I did again over what God has taught me, see. So when he taught me, the devil got real mad. Yeah. Well, I made the devil mad again. He seems to really hate how I'm giving myself now to the Holy Spirit for the kind of meditation that offers my soul on his altar, that turns the greatest teacher that's ever lived, the Holy Ghost, loose on the inside of my spirit. Because now I am equipping him with what he needs to give me all the revelation knowledge he wants to give me. Hallelujah. (sighs) If I had the witness to go on, I would go on. I'm going to only show you a few isolated verses in this book just to show you in God's mind what he was doing in this book because when you read a book like a book of John a hundred times the central theme of the book will begin to crystallize on the inside of you and the satellite verses that are floating around it eventually the Holy Ghost he'll be able to reach out grab that verse bring it in until the whole mind of Christ and the whole revelation and the faith that's in that book is going to come together on the inside of you because you equipped your spirit with the raw material that you need for meditation day and night. A whole new world is waiting for you. May I remind you one more time that John poured 80 years of his life, 80 years into those chapters and we're just going to skim a couple of words here. To see what this man thinks important after 80 years. And how important uh, you think you are and how much you know that you can treat his information lightly. Is anybody having as good a time as I have? Holy Ghost is dancing in me. Let's just take a couple of verses out of prime places, you know, about four of them, and just skim through the whole book and see... See what John thought was important. What a simulation will do. So let's begin with that. Uh, how about the sixth verse? And let's read six and seven, and then we'll go on. If if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie <laughs> and do not the truth. Isn't that something? Well, what darkness is he talking about? Well. You know, you're going to have to run ahead for just a second to the ninth verse of the second chapter to a stroke of the brush over here. He that saith he's in light and hates his brothers in darkness even till now. Oh, now we can go back. That stroke of the brush is done. Then go back to six. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and the truth's not in him. If you hate your brother, you are got to fellowship with God. No, I'm, I had a wonderful... No, you didn't. Because notice the seventh verse. But if we walk in light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In other words, if you do walk with God like you claim you walk with God, there's no ifs, buts, maybes. You will have fellowship one with another. You will. No ifs, buts. Say, how can you tell somebody's out of fellowship? Oh, they hate people and they strive in unforgiveness. Because, he says, if you walk with God in the light, as he's in the light, and walk where he walks, you will. You will have fellowship, one with another. You will. And then he said, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Well, let's go on. Let's go on and just pick out a couple of more verses. Just, just what would happen to you if you read this thing a hundred times? I mean, what would he paint in you? My God, man, what could the Holy Ghost do with you? Oh, let's go on over to uh, how about the second chapter in the 27th verse. He says, but the anointing which you've received of him abideth in you. You have need that any man teach you. But the same anointing teaches you all things and is truth and is no lie and even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Now isn't this interesting? Back up to the 26 verses. These things I write concerning them that seduce you, but you've got an anointing on the inside of you that's truth and cannot lie and concerning being seduced. He says it cannot lie and teaches you all things. Most seduction takes place in the body of Christ, not from the sheep first, from the pulpit first. All division, all incorrect doctrine is taken from people who have taken verses out of context and could not find the central theme of God's mind and Paul's revelation and created one and ended up believing anything that they wanted. Very dangerous. But notice what he said here. We have an anointing in us concerning those that seduceth. If I stand up here and begin to seduce you with incorrect doctrine, you don't have to go with me because you have an anointing that is truth that inoculates you against deception if you know how to walk in it and how to activate it and how to offer your soul on the meditation of God's Word. Well, how do you know? Well, he said, against false teachers. Uh, Go on. Go to the fourth chapter in the first verse. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby, know ye, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, whereof you heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Now isn't this interesting? First of all, you know in that second chapter he says, Concerning that them that seduce you, you have an anointing. He says, they can't seduce you because it'll teach you all things concerning these antichrists, these false spirits, false teaching. Then he goes on to say something. Any spirit that confesses not that Jesus come in the flesh is not of God. When he says, try the spirits to see whether they are of God or not, that any spirit that confesses Jesus did not come in the flesh is not of God. And any that does is of God. So, you know, this is how much we knew about this in ultra, ultra holiness. We'd be casting the devil out of somebody. He'd go, hey, I'm not coming out. That's just like, that's just like saying, "sickum" to me, a candy and stuff like that. Say it again, devil. You know, so we jumped on and <laughs> Well, I didn't exactly do it, but they did. They'd jump on him and say, did Jesus come in the flesh? Did he? They're not supposed to be able to say that, you know. Did he? I find that spirit. He really confused me because that devil was talking. He says, yes, he did. And I'm going, whoa. Now what do we do? Because I know this is a tormenting devil. See, what he was talking about is the spirit that's on that ministry. The Isle of Patimus, off of Turkey, the penal colony, that after it wasn't a penal colony, it became a pilgrimage retreat for Christians to go where John received the revelation but then the Muslims took it over and that's a spirit that's an antichrist that does not believe that God was manifested in the flesh and what he's saying is any spirit that's on any ministry and they're preaching under the anointing of it like new age and all those kind well yes you know Christ is one way to God no he is the only way to God Hallelujah. Well, I know there is no well eyes. <laughs> you know that we think we're so smart in our culture. Just new, educated people with computers, but same dumb devil. Same dumb devil. Just using a little more sophistication in your deception. But he says, any spirit any anointing on any ministry that does not recognize Jesus as the only true and living God manifested in the flesh, died for your sins and resurrected is calling Jesus accursed, as he said in Corinthians. You're saying he died for his own sins. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for your sins. He didn't die under his own curse. He died under a curse for you. He is not accursed. Jesus is the Son of God and made to be my sin and resurrected resurrected to the glory of the Father. Hallelujah, Jesus. And any spirit that comes and says, well, there's another vein of salvation, he said, that anointing which is in you. And he was teaching the early church and Christianity was so young. He says, concerning those that come to seduce you and divide you into a thousand parts, this is what I have to say to you. Oh, come on, people. Eighty years of his life. worth you reading it a hundred times without going to another book get it in there so your teacher can activate equip the Holy Ghost aren't we smart enough to realize out of the thousands of preachers just in this town that they can't agree with each other why? we only have one mind in each book why? is somebody not letting the Holy Ghost have his way? I mean too ought to well, you know, there's good, acceptable, and perfect, not concerning the revelation of his word. That good, acceptable, and perfect in Romans twelve is talking about the plan of God and what he was saying, I'll let you get by with this, and then I'll let you get by with this, and you can get by, you know. If you don't want perfect, you can get by the acceptable and good will get you into heaven. He wasn't talking about your level of understanding, of revelation knowledge. He's talking about the level of understanding you're walking in will get you into heaven not what is really there for you. Why, why can't we agree? I can tell you. If God is going to push anybody around that would have been Adam. Do you know how many people's in hell? Because God would not, in the nature of everything he has, impose himself upon Adam. He let, he let those people choose what they wanted. If he's going to stop anybody, he'd have stopped Adam. And he didn't stop Adam. And because he didn't stop Adam, guarantees you, for the eons of millennials to come, you're a free agent. You can think, enjoy your life. You're an independent entity beside God. You're there because you want to be there and he respects you as an individual and has give you your life and you'll have it then. You see, God doesn't use the, He's not the mafia. He doesn't shoot you up and break your arms to get you to do something. I grant you, a lot of you did something because you did break your arm. But he was there before you broke it and anything you asked, he would have done. He likes it when you lift your face and said, I've fallen in love with you just because I'm wearing these shoes and looking up into heaven. You don't have to break my back. He loves it when you go to the Word and assimilate it because you've fallen in love with him. See, he loves it. (laughs) hallelujah so if he's going to break anybody down it would have been Adam but he let him go and hell's full so it's your decision you're making it your decision haven't you noticed how he'll let you believe anything you want haven't you noticed that well I tell you I just believe in uh, ultimate grace I just believe you can do anything you want stay saved I don't know You can believe what you want. It doesn't really matter. He'll let you. See, he'll let you. We've got all the preachers in the sheep to prove it. He won't push you. He guides you. And you can only be guided as you'll move. Pushing is by force. Guiding is come with me. Are you willing to come? Yes, sir. And his promise to you. John said this. That book's worthy of you. That book's worthy of you. John said this. He's come to guide you into all truth. And then John 17, he says, In thy word it's truth. He won't push you. He'll let you believe anything you want. You can open your mouth, swell the words. All your swell words mean nothing. He lets you believe what you want. Where'd you get it? There's only one standard for truth. Respect it. Assimilate it. Now, you have the teacher of all teachers in you. He's been commissioned by God. If you want to go, he'll take you on the trip. And he lives in great hopes on the inside of you. That you'll learn how to offer your soul on the altar of God's word the same way you'd parachute a five-year-old child in a country that he doesn't speak the language. He won't try, but he'll assimilate the entire language. If you do what I'm about to teach you in these next weeks, you'll parachute into the book of Ephesians. You'll parachute into the book of John. It won't be long that you'll pull every verse into the central revelation of that book and you'll be speaking a new language and it'll be automatic because you assimilated it. So here I got 37 pages or something here. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm just going to use a scare tactic. I'll just open it anywhere. Because the difference between a person offering their whole soul on the altar of God's Word as opposed to just their intellect is the difference between a person sitting down with just a cassette tape and trying to learn a whole new language by comparing one word of English to one word of the language they're trying to learn and taking a five year old child and dropping him off in a country that speaks another language. And the child will be transformed by the language within a year and it does not and it is not that he will try he will not but his soul has the power to assimilate the entire language within a year and it's because he's not just using one but all the attributes of the soul his mind, his will his emotions along with his intellect I'm going backwards on this little did I know that when I followed the Holy Spirit into the principles of meditation that he would teach me the most effective way to offer my soul on the altar of his word Not with just my intellect, because even though my intellect is uh, effective, (laughs) it is only one attribute of my soul. I still have three more to go. And if I'm ever going to get past the limitations of trying to meditate using just one attribute, then I'm going to have to learn how to incorporate the other three. Three. (laughs) Three, my mind, my will. My intellect. This is fun going backwards. So, Tim, as we learn to offer our soul to the meditation of God's Word, never underestimate the power of the soul. This will be the last one. There's only one thing more powerful than the operation of your soul, and that's the nature of your born-again spirit. And when a person begins to subject their soul to the meditation of God's Word, then you have all the power of your soul working for you and not against you. The most common mistake people make in underestimating the power of the soul is by not realizing that your soul has the power to transform you to whatever it is you subject it to the most. Hallelujah. Stand up. Let's worship God.